Chapter 16 of South Sea Idols by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Love Life in a Lanai. It was the witching hour of sunset, and we sat at dinner with tearful eyes over the Commodore's curry. You see, the Commodore prided himself on the strength of this identical dish, and kept a mahogany-tinted East Indian steward for the sole sake of his skill in concocting the same. We dined, as usual, in the Commodore's unrivaled lanai, the very thought of which is a kind of spiritual feast to this hour and while we sat at his board we heard for the twentieth time the monotonous recital of his adventures by flood and field like most sea-stories his narratives were ever fresh as though they had been stowed away in brine were fished out of the vasty deep expressly for the occasion and put to soak again in their natural element as soon as we had tasted their quality the commodore was a roaring old sea-dog who had been cast ashore somewhere in the early part of the century and finding himself in quarters more comfortable than his wildest fancy dared to paint he resolved to end his amphibious days on that strip of shining beach and never more lose sight of land until he should slip his cable for the last time and sail into undiscovered seas meanwhile he entertained his friends at waikiki a kind of tropical long beach a few miles out of honolulu and the grace with which he introduced jack ashore to the dreamy twilight of his lanai is one of jack's deathless memories we met the commodore in the interesting character of jack ashore and with uncovered heads and hearts full of emotion entered the lanai and now for a word to the uninitiated concerning the lanai in question. Off there in the Pacific, under the vertical sun, all shadow is held at a premium. There are stationary caravans of cocoa trees that seem to be looking for their desert home, weird slender trees with tattered plumes, and a hopeless air about them, as though they were born to sorrow, but meant to make the best of it still these fine old palms cast a thin shadow about the size and shape of a colossal spider and there is no comfort in trying to sit in it of course there are other trees with more foliage and vines that run riot and blossom themselves to death but somehow the sharp arrows of sunshine dart in and sting a fellow in an unpleasant fashion and nothing short of a good thatch is to be relied upon so out from the low eaves of the commodore's cottage on the seaward side there was a dense roof of leaves and grass that ran clear to the edge of the sea and looked as though it wanted to go farther but the commodore knew it was useless to attempt to roof over that institution there was a leafy tapestry hanging two feet below the roof on the three sides thereof and from the floor of the enclosure rose a sort of trellis of woven rushes that hedged us in to the waist there was a wicker gate and an open space between the leafy stalactite and stalagmite barricade for ventilation and view and everywhere there was a kind of semi-twilight that seemed crammed full of dreams and delicious indolence and this is the hawaiian lanai 
Of course, the Commodore always dined in his lanai. It was like taking curry on the quarter-deck of the what-do-you-call-her in the dead calm of the Indian seas. And when that mahogany steward entered with turban and mock turtle, he always looked to me like a full-blooded snake-charmer, I had the greatest difficulty in restraining myself, for it seemed to me incredible that any jack ashore could dine in a lanai with his excellency, and not rise between each savoury course to make a dozen profound salams to the fattish gentleman at the head of the table, who was literally covered with invisible naval buttons, and the hallucination increased as the dinner courses multiplied. At this stage, just as the snake-charmer was entering with something that seemed to have come to an untimely end in wine-sauce, at this stage the Commodore turned to us as though he were about to give some order that we might disregard at the peril of our lives. These sea-dogs never quite outgrow that sort of thing. "'Gentlemen,' said he, casting a watchful and suspicious eye over the weather-bow, "'there is to be a luau, a native feast, in the adjoining premises. "'Will you do me the honour to accompany me thither after we have lighted our cigars?' "'I forget what answer we made, but then dinner was well on toward dessert, and our answer was immaterial.' We had our orders, couched in courteous language, and we were thankful for this consideration. Moreover, we were wild to see a native feast. There is a peculiar charm in obeying our superiors when we happen, by some dispensation of divine providence, to be exactly of the same mind. Black coffee was offered us in cups of the pattern of gull's eggs. By this time all the sky was saffron, all the sea a shadow of saffron, and in the golden haze that lay between, a schooner with a piratical slant to her masts swam by, beyond the foam that hissed along the reef. It was a wonderful picture, but it came in between the courses of the Commodore's dinner, as though it were nothing better than a panel-painting in the after-cabin of the what-do-you-call-her. However, as she swung in toward the mouth of the harbor, and passed a bottle of burgundy in safety, but seemed in imminent danger of missing stays abreast of an enormous pyramid of fruit, from the Commodore's point of sight, you know, the old gentleman lost his temper, and gave an order in such peremptory terms that I cheerfully refrain from reproducing it on this occasion. To cover our confusion, we immediately adjourned to the native feast. Hawaiian feast days are not set down in the calendar. Somebody's child has a birthday, or there is a new house that needs christening, or perhaps a church is in want, and the feast can net a hundred or two dollars for it. Since all the eatables in such cases are donated, and the eaters enter to the feast with a payment of one dollar per head, our feast was not sanctified. A chief of the best blood was in the humor to entertain his friends, countrymen, and lovers. We belonged to the first order, or rather the Commodore was his friend, and we speedily became as friendly as possible. As we entered the premises, it appeared to us that half the island was under cover, for limitless lanais seemed to run on to the end of time in bewitching vistas. 
numberless lanterns swung softly in the evening gale a multitude of white-robed native girls passed to and fro with that inimitable grace which i have always supposed eve copied from the serpent and imparted to her daughters who still affect the modern edens of the earth young hawaiian bloods clad in snow-white trousers and ballet shirts with wreaths of mylne around their necks and ginger flowers in their hair grouped themselves along the evergreen corridors and looked unutterable things without any noticeable effort on their part through the central corridor under a long line of lanterns was spread the corporeal feast and on either side of it in two ravenous lines sat tailor fashion the hungry and the thirsty it is useless to attempt an idealization of the hawaiian eater he simply devours whatever suits his palate as though he were a packing-case that needed filling and the sooner filled the more creditable the performance but the amount of filling that he is equal to is the marvel and the patient perseverance of the man so long as there is a crumb left is something that i despair of reconciling with any known system of physiology the mastication began early in the afternoon it was eight p m when we looked in upon the orgy and the bones were not all picked though they seemed likely to be before midnight will you eat said the host it was not etiquette to decline and we sat at the end of the lanai with nameless dishes strewn about us in hopeless confusion we dipped a finger into pink poi and took a pinch of baked dog we had limpets with rock salt cuckoo nuts roasted and pulverized and the pale quivering bits of fish flesh not an hour dead and still cool with the native coolness of the sea it was a fishful feast anyway and not even the fruits or the flowers could entirely alleviate the inward agony consequent upon a morsel of raw fish swallowed to please our host there was music at the farther end of the palm-leaf pavilion and thither we wended our way the inner court was festooned with flags and covered with a large mat upon the mat sat or reclined several chiefesses i am never able to account for the audacious grace of these women who throw themselves upon the floor and stretch their supple limbs like tigresses with a kind of imperial scorn for your one-horse proprieties their voluminous light garments scarcely concealed the ample curves of their bodies and the marvellous creatures seemed to be breathing to slow music while their slumberous eyes regarded us with a gentle indifference that was more tantalizing than any other species of coquetry that i have knowledge of at one side of the enclosure sat a group of musicians twanging upon native harps and beating the national calabash song after song was sung pipe after pipe was smoked and bits of easy and playful conversation filled the intervals the evening waned the eaters and drinkers were still unsatisfied because the eatables and drinkables were not exhausted but the moon was high and full and the reef moaned most musically and seemed to invite us to the shore 
the great charm of a native feast is the entire absence of all formality every man is privileged to seek whom his heart may most desire and every woman may receive him or reject him as her spirit prompts we noticed that the commodore was uneasy he was as plump as a seal and the crowd oppressed him we resolved to get the old gentleman out of his misery and proposed an immediate adjournment to the beach the inner court was soon deserted and our little party which now embraced figuratively several magnificent chiefesses as well as the primitive hawaiian orchestra moved in silence toward the sea the long curving beach glistened and sparkled in the moonlight the sea within the reef was like a tideless river from whose pellucid depths where the coral spread its wilderness of branches an unearthly radiance was reflected a fleet of slender canoes floated to and fro upon the water and beyond them the creaming reef flashed like a girdle of silver belting us in from all the world the crowning luxury of savage life is the multitudinous bondsman who anticipates your every wish and makes you blush at your own poverty of invention by his suggestions of unimagined joys mats broad sweet and clean lay underfoot and served our purpose better than persian carpets the sea itself fawned at our feet and all the air was shining and soft as though the moon had dissolved in an ecstasy and nothing but a snap of cold weather could congeal her again wherever we lay pillows were mysteriously slipped under our heads and the willingest hands in the world began an involuntary performance of the lomi lomi let me not think upon the lomi lomi for there is none of it within reach but i may say of it that before the skilful and magnetic hands of the manipulator are folded every nerve in the body is seized with an intense little spasm of recognition and dies happy a dreamless sleep succeeds and this is followed by an awakening into new life full of proud possibilities we were lomi lomied to the murmurs of the reef and during the intervals of consciousness saw an impromptu rehearsal of the naiad queen in operatic form the dancing girls being somewhat heated had plunged into the sea and were complaining to the moon in a chorus of fine harmonies history does not record how long their sea song rang across the waters i know that we dozed and woke to watch a silver sail wafted along the vague and shadowy distance like a phantom we slept again and woke to a sense of silence broken only by the unceasing monody of the reef slept and woke yet again in the waning light for the moon had sunk to the ragged rim of an old crater and seemed to have a large piece bitten out of her glorious disk then we broke camp by the shore for the air was a trifle chilly and withdrew into the seclusion of the commodore's lanai where we threw ourselves into hammocks and swung until daybreak in those days we fed on lotus flowers jack ashore lives for the hour only and the very air of such a latitude breathes enchantment i believe we bathed before sunrise and then went regularly to bed and slept till noon 
such were the commodore's orders and this is our apology there was a breakfast about one p m at which we were permitted to appear in undress the commodore set the example by inviting us to the table in an extraordinary suit of cream-coloured silk that was suggestive of pyjamas but might have been some oriental regalia especially designed for morning wear he looked like a ship under full sail rocking good-naturedly in a dead calm the commodore was excessively formal at first sight that is just before breakfast but his heart warmed toward mankind in general and his guests in particular as the meal progressed some people never are themselves until they have broken their fast they are so cranky and seemed to lack ballast the snaky steward sloughed his clothes twice a day he was a slim noiseless gliding fellow at breakfast but he was positively gorgeous at dinner of course the commodore had ordered this nice distinction in the temporal affairs of his servant for he kept everything about the place in ship shape even to the flying of his private signal from sunrise to sunset at the top of a tall staff that rivalled the royal ensign floating from a similar altitude not a quarter of a mile distant his majesty has a summer palace at waikiki and it has been whispered that the commodore refused to recognize him and never dipped his colours as the king cantered by in a light buggy drawn by a span of spanking bays after breakfast the cribbage board was produced and for three mortal hours the commodore kept his peg on the steady march at cribbage the old gentleman was expected to lose his temper he stormed with the arrogance of a veteran card-player with whom no man is supposed to make himself more disagreeable on short notice lieutenant blank was usually the victim but he deserved it the true story of lieutenant blank his name is suppressed out of consideration for his family is so common in tropical seaports that i do not hope in this epitome to offer anything novel the lieutenant was a typical jack ashore he had twice the mail that came to the rest of us and he read his love-letters to the mess with a gusto he boasted fresh victims in every port and gloried in his lack of principle it did not surprise me at all that the lieutenant had shaken his mother in fact under the circumstances i think his mother would have been justified in shaking him if she could have got her hands on him in the love-light of the commodore's lanai life was very precious to this particular jack ashore to him a lanai was a city of refuge provided by an all-wise commodore for those fascinating lieutenants who are pursued by the chief women of the tribe yet he loved to loiter without the walls during the off-hours from cribbage no man so relished the lomi lomi no man except the native-born so clamoured for the hula hula and no man not even the least of these forgot himself to the same alarming extent whenever there was the slightest provocation of course he met a chiefess and surrendered of course he meant in time to crush the heart that pulsated with the blood royal he simpered and tried to turn semi-savage and was simply ridiculous 
he made silly speeches in the worst possible hawaiian and afforded unlimited amusement to the women who were wiser in their dark skins than the children of light he tried to eat poi and ruined his linen he suffered himself to be wreathed and garlanded until he was the picture of a sacrificial calf he gave gifts and babbled in his sleep but in the hour when his triumph seemed inevitable he was beautifully snubbed by his supposed victim the sirens of scylla are a match for any mariner who sails with unwadded ears the lieutenant cannot hope to hear the last of that adventure though the subject is never broached by himself if we had dwelt a thousand years with the commodore and sipped the elixir of life from the gourd that hung by the door of the wine-closet i suppose we should have had the same daily and nightly experiences to go through with barring a slight variation in the little matter of moonshine but there were orders superior to the commodore's since he was off active duty and these orders demanded our reappearance on shipboard at an early hour of the day following there was a farewell round of everything that had been introduced during our brief stay at waikiki dances songs sea bathes and flirtations the moon rose higher and was but a shadow of her former self but the stars burned brightly and we could still trace the noiseless flight of the solitary sail that passed like a spirit over the dusky sea i know that in after years whenever i come within sound of surf under the prickly sunshine my fancy will conjure up a picture of that grass cottage on the slope of a dazzling beach and the portly form of the old commodore stowed snugly in the spacious hollow of a bamboo settee drawn up on the stocks as it were for repairs with a bandana spread over his face and a dark-eyed crouching figure beside him fighting mosquitoes with a tuft of parrot feathers no wonder that a bodyguard of some kind was necessary for i believe that the old commodore's veins ran nothing but wine and mosquitoes are good tasters the picture would not be complete without the attendant ouries and with their image comes an echo of barbarous chants and the monotonous thump of the tom-tom of swaying figures of supple wrists of slender lascivious hands tossed skilfully in the air seeking to interpret their pantomimic dances and doing it with remarkable freedom and grace i shall hear that one song like an echo eternally repeated the song that was sung by all the lips that had skill to sing in every valley under the hawaiian sun i remember it as a refrain that was first raised in honolulu but for the copyright of which the respective residents of hawaii and niau would willingly lay down their lives with the last words of the song rattling in their throats polianu or cool bosom is a fair specimen of the ballad literature of hawaii and the following free translation will perhaps give a suggestion of the theme Polianyu is sung by the old and decrepit, the lame, the halt, and the blind, as well as by the merest children. I have heard it caroled by a solitary boy tending goats upon the breezy heights of Kaupo. I have listened to it in the market-place, where a chorus of a dozen voices held the customer entranced. 
in the high winds of the middle channel the song is raised as the schooner lays over at a perilous angle and ships water enough to dampen the ardor of most singers it is sung in the church porch by the brackish well in the desert under the moonlit palms and everywhere else it cheers the midnight vigil of the prisoner and makes glad the heart of the sorrowful it is altogether useful as well as ornamental and the hawaiian who does not number among his accomplishments the ability to sing polianu tolerably well is unworthy of the name polianu bosom here is love for you o bosom cool as night how you refresh me as with dew your coolness gives delight rain is cold upon the hill and water in the pool yet all my frame is colder still for you o bosom cool face to face beneath a bough i may not you embrace but feel a spell on breast and brow while sitting face to face thoughts in absence send a thrill like touch of sweeter air i sought you and i seek you still o bosom cool and fair that is all of it but your hawaiian turns back and begins over again until he has enough i suppose it is no breach of confidence on my part to state that the gorgeous old commodore is dead there was nothing in his lanai life to die of except an accident and in course of time he met with one i forget the nature of it but it finished him there was wailing for three mortal days in the solemn shadow of the lanai and then one of the large motherly-looking creatures with numerous gauzy folds in a dress that fell straight from her broad shoulders moved in after three days of feasting all vestiges of the commodore's atmosphere had disappeared from the premises i fancy she always felt at home there although she was never known to open her lips in the presence of the commodore's guests life was a little more intense after that the snaky steward disappeared without any sort of warning i have always believed that he crawled under some rock and laid himself away in a coil that he will sleep for a century or so then come out in his real character and astonish the inhabitants with his length and his slimness lieutenant blank survives and sails the stormy seas on a moderate salary the major portion of which he turns into naval buttons i hear from him once in a dog's age he is first at kalao with a daily jaunt into lima then at one of the south sea paradises next at australia or in the china sea and in the future heaven knows where he vibrates between the two hemispheres working out his time and believing himself supremely happy i doubt not that he is happy being about as selfish as men are made as for myself i am a landsman after all that is said the sea is rather a bore you know but i do not forget the dreamy days of calm in the flowering equatorial waters nor the troubled days of storm there are a thousand and one trifling events in the fragmentary experiences of the seafarer that are of more importance than this stray leaf but perhaps none that will serve my purpose better for this yarn is as fine drawn as the episodes in an out-of-the-way port with nothing but the faint odor of its fruits a little overripe 
of its flowers a little overblown and a general sense of uncomfortable warmth to give it individuality i have found these experiences excellent memories for though the dull weights between the acts and the sluggishness of the action at best are a little dreary at times they are forgotten together with most disagreeable matter i'll warrant you lieutenant blank strutting his little hour between decks or in the fleeting moments of the delectable dog-watch muses upon the past when he has aroused the fever in his blood and can no longer hold his tongue he heaves an ominous sigh knits his brows and in a voice that quivers with unaffected emotion he whispers to the marines the beguiling romance of his love life in a lanai End of chapter 16